Okay, um, let's pray, and I'm going to actually read Genesis 41, verses 53 to 57. Uh, Father, we do thank you and praise you for this day. We thank you for your word. We thank you for this time that we have together. Lord, as we uh, just continue the story of, of life of Joseph, this story is just an amazing story. It's so fun to read through and and to think about and to ponder and to see uh, Lord, the, this overarching theme of, of your sovereignty and how you use things that maybe we, uh, we can't seem to figure out in the moment, but that you ultimately seem to use for a purpose. And so in the story of Joseph, where his brother sold him into slavery uh, with, with uh, bad intentions, Lord, uh, Joseph at the end of his life sees that you actually used this crime against him for good. Uh, so that he could be there to actually be a, 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 a savior uh, to his brothers and his their families, Lord, during this time of great famine. I thank you that in today's story we see, Lord, that um, that through this story we see that you give them the opportunity uh, to confess their sins, uh, to be forgiven, to be restored. And ultimately, Lord, uh, it seems that they all get right with you. And throughout this story, we just see your gracious hand. And so, Father, I pray that you would help us as we read through this story to see your hand in our lives. Uh, we might be going through difficult times right now. We uh, might be going through good times. But regardless of what season we find ourselves in today, I pray, Father, that you would turn our eyes to you and to trust you more and more each day. Uh, we love you, Father, and we pray this in Christ's good name. Amen. All right. <clears throat> so Genesis chapter 41, verses 53 through 57. If we were watching this as a movie form, this would be sort of the, the on last week's episode of the story of Joseph. This is what would pop up. Um, when the seven years of plenty, which had been in the land of Egypt, came to an end, and the seven years of famine began to come, just as Joseph had said, there was famine in all the lands, but in all the land of Egypt, there was bread. So when all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried out to Pharaoh for bread. And Pharaoh said to all the Egyptians, go to Joseph, and whatever he says to you, you shall do. When the famine was spread all over the face of the earth, then Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians, and the famine was severe in the land of Egypt. The people of all the earth came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph because the famine was severe in all the earth. And Father, again, we thank you for the story. We ask that you would lead us as we work our way through it, and it's in Christ's good name we pray. Amen. I have basically no notes. The next page is my conclusion, and we're going to cover three chapters. <laughs> um, so we pick up in 42. Uh, my prayer is that we would get sort of lost in the story, let the story speak for itself, and I'll comment along the way, of course. So in verse, chapter 42, verse 1, uh, now Jacob, <clears throat> that's Joseph's father, saw that there was grain in Egypt, and Jacob said to his sons, why are you staring at one another? I love this. Dad looks at the 10 boys that are left like, what are you boys doing? Why are you just looking at each other? Go do something. Get us some food. He said, behold, I have heard that there's grain in Egypt. 
Go down there and buy some for us from that place so that we may live and not die. So we have kind of a map behind us. On the 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 right side, um, you'll see at the very top, there's the Sea of Galilee. You'll see the Dead Sea. Um, I'm not going to get the pointer because I don't want to get distracted. And you see Beersheba. So it's believed that uh, about 13 years prior, 13, 14 years beforehand, the brothers went up to Dothan. They came back around. And that's like the journey that Joseph made to Egypt, being sold into slavery. And then uh, in today's story, there's like the going back and forth, we think, between point number one or point number eight, Hebron or Beersheba, to like seven into, into the Egypt area. So it's back and forth. Uh, I'm calling it 250 miles. I don't really know. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about that more later. Okay. Um, <clears throat> There's famine in the whole world, but in Egypt, very prosperous area, the whole uh, Goshen area, very uh, lush area, lots of water. And so they had prepared for what was coming and the world heard, hey, they have food. Their Costco's still have toilet paper in the shelves. We're going to go down there and get some food. Um, then verse three, 10, let's see here, place so they may not live and not die. Uh, then verse three, then 10 brothers of Joseph went down to buy grain from Egypt, but Jacob did not send Joseph's brother, Benjamin with his brothers. For he said, I'm afraid that harm may be, be, befall him. The last time he sent the boys out, uh, Joseph didn't come back. Joseph and Benjamin were the, the sons of the woman whom he loved and this was his like prized possession, and he's not going to risk the second son again. So he sends the others, the expendable ones. <clears throat> Verse 5, So the sons of Israel came to buy grain among those who were coming, for the famine was in the land of Canaan also. Verse 6, Now Joseph was a ruler over the land, and he was the one who sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brothers came and bowed down to him with their faces to the ground. When Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized them, but he disguised himself to them and spoke to them harshly. So they show up. They, he, Joseph, who's now looks like an Egyptian, walks like an Egyptian, talks like an Egyptian. I'm not going to sing the song. Everything about is, is Egyptian. These are Jewish guys. They come up. They're not thinking anything about their brother. They're not thinking their brother's alive, let alone the number one guy, really number two, but with all of the authority in the land of Egypt, that's not who they're thinking. But Joseph recognizes them after all of these years immediately, and he begins speaking harsh to them. Uh, we'll see later, um, I believe that this is also through an interpreter because he's speaking the Egyptian language. And when the brothers begin speaking later in the story, uh, Joseph understood, but they didn't realize that he understood because there was an interpreter there. Okay, speaking harshly. I got to figure out where we are in the story here. Um, um, I should really put my finger in the right spot. Verse 7, thank you. Uh, When Joseph saw his brothers and recognized them, but he disguised himself and spoke harshly. And he said to them, where have you come from? And they said, from the land of Canaan to buy food. But Joseph had recognized his brothers, although they did not recognize him. Joseph remembered the dreams which he had about them back in chapter 37. Remember those dreams that got him in this predicament? He's like, ha-ha, it's all coming true now. Uh, and said to them, you are spies. 
you've come to look at the undefended parts of our land. And they said to him, no, my Lord, but your servants have come to buy food. We are the sons of one man and we are honest men. Your servants are not spies. Yet Joseph said to them, no, but you have come to look at the undefended parts of our land. But they said, your servants are 12 brothers in all, the sons of one man in the the land of Canaan. And behold, the youngest is with our father today. And one is no longer alive, or so they thought. Uh, Joseph said to them, It is as I said to you, you are spies. By this you will be tested. By the life of Pharaoh, you shall not go from this place until your youngest brother comes here. Uh Uh-oh. Send one of you that he may get your brother while you remain confined, that your words may be tested, whether there is truth in you, but if not, by the life of Pharaoh, surely you are spies. So you guys are, if you guys are telling the truth, I want you to go back. I'm going to send, I'm going to keep the rest of you here in jail. I'm going to let one go get that younger brother. Obviously, there's an, an emotional investment for Joseph with a younger brother. This is his, his fully biological brother that he was connected to. He wants to see him for his personal reasons. And then he puts them all in prison for three days. So he locks them in the hole for three days so they can kind of think about what they're going to do. Then in verse 18, now Joseph said to them on the third day, do this and live for I fear God. And it seems to me that throughout the course of Joseph's life, regardless of what happens to him, he seems anchored in God. He fears God. He wants to do the right thing. He says, if you are honest men, let one of your brothers be confined in your prison. But as for the rest of you go, carry grain for the famine of your households and bring your youngest brother to me so your words may be verified and you will not die. And they did so. So he said, instead of keeping all of you and letting one go, I'm going to basically just keep one back as sort of a good faith deposit. I'll give you food. You go there, you get your brother, and you come back. And so they said to one another, truly we are guilty concerning our brother because we saw the distress of his soul when he pleaded with us, yet we would not listen. Therefore, the distress has come upon us. So here we are like 14 years later, that incident when they sold Joseph into slavery is still just wreaking, wrecking, wreaking, wrecking havoc. It's, it's still with it. What is it, Daniel? Wreaking havoc. I'm like, does that mean it stinks? I'm like, my brain, I got too many. Like, so it's like, it's still with them. Like all these years, over a decade has gone by, but it's like they still see that moment and their consciences are still troubling them. And they think, that because of what they did, they're still being punished for their sins. And they, they recognize, and I do think there's a lesson here, that, that time doesn't necessarily heal all wounds. Like in order to heal, sometimes what you have to do is you have to get right with the individual that you wrong. Sometimes you, have to, you always have to get right with God. And so there's sort of this undone business that they recognize that they have to take care of. And they're not missing the significance of what's happening to them in this moment. And verse 22, Reuben answered them and saying, Did I not tell you, do not sin against the boy, and you would not listen? Now comes the reckoning for his blood. They did not know, however, that Joseph understood, for there was an interpreter between them. I can only imagine with Joseph standing there as the Egyptian, observing his brothers. They have no clue that he can understand what they're saying, what this is doing to his heart. Like, oh man, they're still feeling bad about all of this, but he doesn't necessarily intervene at this point. He turned away from them and wept. 
But when he returned to them and spoke to them, he took Simeon from them and bound them before their eyes. Then Joseph gave orders to fill their bags with grain and to restore every man's money in his sack and to give them provisions for the journey. And thus it was done for them. So he keeps Simeon back. He takes their bags. He fills it with food. Everything that they paid for to get the food, he puts back in the bag. So this is sort of a a free gift to them. And they were on their way. Verse 26, so they loaded their donkeys with their grain and departed from there. Verse 27, and one of them opened his sack to give his donkey fodder, that's food, at the lodging place. He saw his money, and behold, it was in the mouth of his sack. Then he said to his brothers, my money has been returned, and behold, it is even in my sack. And their hearts sank, and they turned trembling to one another, saying, what is this that God has done to us? Like, the situation is getting worse. The fact that they have their money, this isn't a good thing. This is like, this. now it comes across that they stole the stuff. Something bad's happening. They see this as God is punishing them for their sins of the past. When they came to their father, Jacob, and you just get the, the impression that they're, they're journeying their way back. If it's 250 miles, I don't know. That, this could be, some say, between like a two and three week journey each way. So they're making their way back to their father in the land of Canaan. They told him all that had happened to them, saying, the, the man, the Lord of the land, he spoke harshly with us, and he took us for spies of the country. But we said to him, we are honest men. We are not spies. We are told brothers, sons of our father. One is no longer alive, and the youngest is with our father today in the land of Canaan. The man, the Lord of the land, said to us, by this, I will know that you are honest men. Leave one of your brothers with me and take grain for the famine of your households and go. But bring your youngest brother to me that I may know that you are not spies, but honest men. I will give your brother to you and that you, and that, and you may trade in the land. And so they recap the whole story to their dad. And it comes about in verse 35 that they were emptying their sacks and behold, every man's bundle of money was in his sack. And when they, when they and their father saw the bundles of money, they were dismayed. Like, this is not good. Their brother, their father, the father, their father, Jacob, said to them, you have bereaved me of my children. Joseph is no more, and Simeon is no more. So at this moment, he recognizes we're, like, not going back. Simeon's a goner. Like, he's just, like, he's, he's written off this son as as good as dead, and it's because of them. And you want to take Benjamin? All these things are against me. Then Reuben Reuben spoke to his father saying, you may put my two sons to death, so your grandchildren, if I do not bring him back to you. Put him in my care and I will return him to you. But Jacob said, my son shall not go down with you, for his brother is dead and he alone is left. Joseph is a goner. I only have two sons from this one woman that I love. One's already gone and I have one remaining and I'm not risking this son. Not even for Simeon. Uh, If harm should befall him on the journey you are taking, then you will bring my gray hair down to Sheol in sorrow. Chapter 43. Now the famine was severe in the land. It was really, really bad. This, This phrase pops up over and over and over again. Verse two, then it came about when they had finished eating the grain, which they had brought up from Egypt, 
that their father said to them, go back, buy us a little food. The father finally comes to his senses. He recognizes that unless they go back, they're all going to die. And so they, he's, he's basically, his hands are tied. They, the sons have to go back. Judah spoke to him, however, saying, and as we work through the life of jo- Judah, um, I, I do think it's kind, I think it's important to kind of remember, um, I think it was chapter 38, that really hard chapter to see Judah, this man who was portrayed really poorly in that chapter, that now at this stage in his life, something seems to have changed. He seems to be acting selflessly. And I don't necessarily have anything concretely to say, but I just, other than to remind you that at this stage, when we're talking about Judah, we're talking about Judah, the story that's like the worst chapter in the whole Bible that a lot of guys say you shouldn't even preach in church. And I did. Um, uh, so Judah spoke to him, however, saying, the man solemnly warned us, you shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. If you send our brother with us, we will go down and buy you food. But if you do not send him, we will not go down. For the man said to us, you will not see my face unless your brother is with you. He's like, dad, we are not returning to that guy unless we have Benjamin. You didn't see his face. You didn't hear the tone of his words. There's no way we're going. The only way we're going is if Benjamin is with us. And this isn't, this isn't up for debate. Then Israel said, that's Jacob. Jacob was Israel. Then Israel said, why did you treat me so badly by telling me, telling the man whether you still had another brother? Why did you tell him the whole story? Why did you tell him there's another brother? Well, you guys, if you could only go back, if you just didn't say, like, so this is panic and frustration on the dad. But they said the man questioned us, particularly about our relatives saying, it was almost like he was related to them. Um, particularly about a relative saying, is your father still alive? Have you another brother? So he answered his questions. Could we have possibly known that he would say, bring your brother down? Judah said to his father Israel, send the lad with me and we will arise and go that we may live and not die. We as well as you and our little ones, I myself will be surety for him. You may hold me responsible for him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him before you, then let me bear the blame before you forever. For if we had not delayed, surely by now we could have returned twice. Which like, I'm this whole time. They're sent with food. They have all this food. And then they're just sort of snacking away. And I'm thinking, what if I was poor Simeon? Like, uh, like they should be back by now. <laughs> like, where are they? Why are they not here? Like, and if, if it's a, if it's a, a three-week journey, so it's like three weeks, six weeks, nine weeks, 12 weeks. So it's like three months has gone by. And poor Simeon's like, my poor brother should have been here by now. So the best I can tell when, the, when he says this, like, hey, if we had left right away, we could have done this trip two more times. Like, so it seems to be that about three months has gone by. And poor Simeon is just rotting away. And I could just, I we just don't have the story and I don't have time to kind of meander through this. But I wonder if Joseph was out in a cell. He's like, hey, you think your brothers are coming back? I heard, are you sure they're good guys? You can trust these guys? They've never done this to anybody else before? You know, like, <laughs> like, like uh, that's just me though. I, I, and the Bible doesn't tell us. So verse 11, then their father Israel said to them, 
it must be so, then do this. Take some of the best products of the land in your bags and carry them down to the man as a present. A little balm, a little honey, a little aromatic gum, and myrrh, and pistachio nuts, and almonds. Uh, Take double the money in your hand, and take back in your hand the money that was returned in the mouth of your sacks, and perhaps it was a mistake. Take your brother also, and arise and return to the man. And may God Almighty grant you compassion in the sight of the man, so that he will release you to your other brother and Benjamin. And as for me, if I am bereaved of my children, I am bereaved. If I am bereaved of my children, I am bereaved. So the men took this present, and they took double the money in their hand. And Benjamin, then they arose, and they went down to Egypt and stood before Joseph. When Joseph saw Benjamin with them, he said to his house steward, Bring the men into the house, and slay an animal, and make ready for the men are to dine with me at noon. So the men did as Joseph said and brought the men to Joseph's house. Now the men were afraid because they were brought to Joseph's house and they said, it is because of the money that was returned in our sacks the first time that we are being brought in that he may seek an occasion against us and fall upon us and take us for slaves with our donkeys. So they came near Joseph's house steward and spoke to him at the entrance of the house and said, Oh my Lord, we indeed came down the first time to buy food. And it came about when we came to the lodging place that we opened our sacks and behold, each man's money was in the mouth of the sack, our money in full. So we have brought it back in our hand. We have also brought down other money in our hand to buy food. We do not know who put our money back in our sacks. He's like, there's been a real big misunderstanding. I don't know what's about to happen to Joseph's house. I don't know why we're at Joseph's house, but we just want to make clear, this is what happened. We came back with the money that, was, that we already paid. It's your money, but we brought more money and these gifts. Like, we just want to clear the air. They're, they're, they're like, I don't know what's about to go down, but can we avoid us being killed or whatever is going to happen? And so the slave said at verse 23, be at ease, do not be afraid. Your God and the God of your father has given you treasure in your sacks. I had your money. Then he brought Simeon out to them. So he brings, he restores the brother to them. Then the man brought the men into Joseph's house and gave them water and they washed their feet and he gave their donkeys fodder, food. So they prepared the present for Joseph's coming at noon. For they had heard that they were to eat a meal there. When Joseph came home, they brought into the house to him the present which was in their hand and bowed to the ground before him. Then he asked them about their welfare and said, Is your father well? Is your father well? Of whom we spoke, is he still alive? They said, Your servant, our father, is well. He is still alive. They bowed down in homage. Then he lifted his eyes and he saw his brother Benjamin his mother's son. And he said, is this your youngest brother of whom you spoke to me? And he said, may God be gracious to you, my son. Joseph hurried out for he was deeply stirred over his brother and he sought a place to weep and he entered his chamber and he wept there. This is like super emotional. I mean, this is, but he has to be, sto- he, I mean, he's choosing to be stoic. He's choosing to sort of not play his cards at this time, but he is just overwhelmed. Verse 31, then he washed his face and he came out and he controlled himself and he said, serve the meal. So they served him by himself 
and them by themselves. So you have to remember here, for the Egyptian people, the Jewish people were super despicable. <laughs> like, so, so he wants to have a big meal for him. He's like, hey, guys, it's really wonderful. We're going to have a great meal. I really want to host you. Have, a, have a, just a wonderful, wonderful meal. And then I create this big spread for you guys and say, enjoy it. I'm going to go to my office and eat by myself because I don't want to be, you know, you guys are kind of gross. <laughs> like, that's, that's kind of what happened. So they have this big meal for him. Um, so they served him by himself and, and by themselves and the Egyptians who ate with him by themselves because the Egyptians could not eat bread with the Hebrews for that is loathsome to the Egyptians. Now they were seated before him. This is going to play into their guilty conscience. So they have this big spread for them. And then the brothers that are there, they're going to be seated by the Egyptians and it just happens that they're going to be seated in birth order. They, how would the Egyptians know other than Joseph tells them exactly how to sit them? But as they get sat in birth order, they're going to be freaking out going, this is really bad. How in the world did this happen? This is just the coincidence here is too great. Now they were seated before him, the firstborn according to his birthright, the youngest according to his youth. And the men looked at one another in astonishment, like rut row. Uh, <clears throat> he took portions to them from his own table. But Benjamin's portion was five times as much as any of theirs. So they feasted and ate, they feasted and drank freely with them. Chapter 44. Then he commanded his house stewards saying, fill the men's sacks with food as much as they can carry. And put each man's money in the mouth of his sack. Put my cup, the silver cup, in the mouth of the sack of the youngest and his money for the grain. And he did, the servant did, as Joseph had told him. And as soon as it was light, the men were sent away with their donkeys, just as they had gone out of the city and were not far off when Joseph said to his house steward, up, follow the men, and when you overtake them, say to them, why have you repaid evil for good? Is it not the one from which my Lord drinks, which he indeed uses for divination? You have done wrong in doing this. So he's talking about the cup that was stashed there. That He says, hey, this is the cup that my Lord Joseph uses for divination. Verse 6, so he overtook them and spoke these words to them. So basically what this is saying is the servant then goes to the guys he speaks the thing that Joseph tells them to speak. And they said to him in verse 7, Why does my Lord speak such words as these? Far be it from your servants to do such a thing. Behold, the money which we found in the mouth of our sacks we have brought back to you from the land of Canaan. How then could we steal silver or gold from your Lord's house? With whomever of your servants it is found, let him die. Oh, these are not good words to be speaking. Uh and we also will be my Lord's slaves. So he said, now let it also be according to your words. He with whom it is found shall be my slave, and the rest of you shall be innocent. And they hurried, each man lowered his sack in the ground, and each opened his sack. He searched, beginning with the oldest and ending with the youngest. And if you are familiar with Joseph and the amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat, you hear that all the brothers' names and the no, no, no. No, and then I forget how it ends, but Joseph, or not Joseph, Benjamin is the one that the cup comes out of. That sort of scene comes out of my mind when I'm think, reading this. And now I have to figure out where I'm at. The youngest, verse 12, 
He searched beginning with the oldest, ending with the youngest, and the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. Then they tore their clothes because they just basically offered their brother to be killed. How they can explain this one to dad? Uh, then they tore their clothes, and with each man loaded with his donkey, they returned to the city. When Judah and his brothers came to Joseph's house, he was still there, and they fell to the ground before him. Joseph said to them, what is this deed that you have done? Do you not know that such a man as I can indeed practice divination? So Judah said, this is the same Judah, the bad, ugly Judah, the bad chapter in the Bible, Judah. What can we say to my Lord? What can we speak? Or how can we justify ourselves? God has found out the iniquity of your servants. Here he is, this this man that God hasn't spoken in the horrible chapter. Now he's standing before Joseph saying that God has found out our iniquity. We're being punished for our iniquity. We did something wrong. And the wrong that he's talking about isn't about stealing a cup because they didn't steal a cup. He's talking about what they did to their brother, Joseph, 15 years ago. Behold, we are my Lord's slaves. Both we and the one in whom in whose possession the cup has been found. But he said, far be it from me to do this. The man in whose possession the cup has been found, he shall be my slave. But as for you, go up in peace to your father. So Joseph says, no, 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 no. The one that stole it, he's going to be my slave. We all know that this is Joseph's kid brother, the one whom he loves and he adores. He's like, hey, I'm keeping my brother. You guys can go. You're free to go. Just go back. But Judah's like, it can't be this way. Verse 18, then Judah approached him and said, oh, my Lord, may your servant please speak a word in my Lord's ears and do not be angry with your servant for you are equal to Pharaoh. Now in verse 19 through a few verses, he's going to recap the story of what happened on their previous trip. He's going to kind of tell the story again, what he told them already about their family, their family history. Uh, My Lord previously had asked his servant saying, have you a father or brother? We said to you, uh, we have an old, we have an old father and a little child of his old age. Now his brother is dead. So he is alone and left of his mother and his father loves him. Then you said to your servants, bring him down, bring Benjamin down to me that I may set my eyes on him. But we said to my Lord, the lad cannot leave his father, for if he should leave his father, his father would die. You said to your servants, however, unless your younger brother comes down with you, you will not see my face again. Thus it came about when we went up to see your servant, my father, we told him the words of my Lord, your words. Our father said, go back, buy us a little food. But we said, we cannot go back down. If our younger brother uh, if our younger, youngest brother is with us, then we will go down. For we cannot see the man's face unless the younger brother is with us. Your servant, my father, said to us, you know that my wife bore me two sons. And the one went down from me and, and said, surely he is torn in pieces, and I have not seen him since. If you take the other son from me and harm befalls him, you will bring my gray hair down to Sheol in sorrow. I will die." Now, therefore, when I come to you, my, your servant, my father, and the lad is not with us, since his life is bound up in the lad's life, when he sees that the lad is not with us, he will die. If we go back 
and there's nine of us, and he sees that Benjamin's not there, he's, we're not even going to get a chance to explain to him. He's just going to keel over and die. This is serious. Verse 32, for your servant became surety for the lad to my father. He's Judah saying, I told my dad I would be in, I would take his place. Saying, if I do not bring him back to you, then let me bear the blame for my father forever. Verse 33, his request to Joseph. Now, therefore, this horrible guy, Judah, somehow is a changed man. He's pleading with Joseph to allow himself to be the one that's taken. He's offering his life in exchange for Benjamin. Now, now, therefore, please let your servant remain instead of the lad, a slave to my Lord, and let the lad go up with his brothers. For how shall I go up to my father if the lad is not with me? For I fear that I see the evil that would overtake my father. He's pleading with him. And so now we get to sort of like the, the point of all of this in these next 15 verses in chapter 45. In verse 1, we see that as Joseph sees his brother Judah pleading in this way, selflessly, sacrificially, making a stand for his younger brother, doing exactly the opposite that he didn't do for him so many years ago, it was too much for Joseph to take in. Then Joseph could not control himself before all of those who stood by him. These are the Egyptians. These aren't his brothers. And he cried, have everyone go out from me. So he kicks out all of his staff, all of the Egyptians, and it's only him and his brothers at this point. So there was no man with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. He wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard it, and the household of Pharaoh heard it. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Can you imagine the shock and awe of that? Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. <laughs> like, I'm sure there's more colorful words that you could say in the thought. <laughs> like, I don't. Then Joseph said to his brothers, please come closer to me. And they came closer. And he said, I am your brother, Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. I mean, imagine this. Like, he's been speaking Egyptian or whatever Egyptians. I mean, Egyptian, I'm assuming, through an interpreter. Now, all of a sudden, he's speaking Hebrew to them or whatever they're speaking at the time. Like he's speaking their native language, authenticating himself to them that, listen, I'm not an Egyptian. I'm your brother. The one that you sold into Egypt. Do you guys remember? Do you, do you guys forget what happened so many years ago? <laughs> like, uh, which I think that they're now even more worried because they knew what they did to their brother. And if they were in their brother's shoes, what would they do to them? But Joseph never lost sight of God. Joseph didn't let bitterness creep in. Joseph didn't let anger creep in. Joseph always sort of stayed anchored to God and recognized that God was doing something in the midst of this. And we're going to see the lesson from Joseph and what he's learned. And I think what God wants to share with us in these next few verses. This is the part if you're in class, it's like, okay, start taking notes. You might see this on the test. Verse five, Joseph saying to his brothers, now do not be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here for God sent me before you to preserve life for the famine has been in the land these two years and there are still five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. God sent me before you to preserve 
for you a remnant in the earth and to keep you alive by a great deliverance. It wasn't that you, you threw me in a pit, you sold me into slavery. God has sent me before you in order to do this so that there might be a remnant of people saved. <clears throat> totally different perspective. Verse 8, now therefore it was not you who sent me here, but God. And he has made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all his household and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Hurry and go up to my father and say to him, thus says your son Joseph. If not seeing Benjamin was going to kill him, I'm not sure how this phrase is going to like, this might be as troublesome also. Thus says your son Joseph, God has made me Lord over all of Egypt. Come down to me and do not delay. You shall live in the land of Goshen and you shall be near me and your children and your children's children and your flocks and your herds and all that you have. There I will also provide for you for there are still five years of famine to come and your household and all that you have would be impoverished. Behold, your eyes see, and the eyes of my brother Benjamin see, that is that it is my mouth which is speaking to you. Now you must tell my father of all my splendor in Egypt, and that you have seen, and that you must hurry and bring my father down here. Then he fell on his brother Benjamin's neck and wept, and Benjamin wept on his neck. He kissed all of his brothers and he wept on them. And afterward, his brothers talked with him. It's a beautiful story. We're right on time. We covered three and a half chapters. And like, like, like what do we do? Like, what do we take away from the story? There's like just a handful of things. The first thing I think see in this section is that one phrase really stood out to me. When Joseph talking to his brothers early on, he says, for I fear God. That phrase, I think, could summarize Joseph's life, that he feared God, and because he feared God, his, his thoughts, his actions, the way he went about his life, everything flowed from that truth. And it's the same truth that we see in Proverbs, at the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. And so if we rightly place God in our lives, our decisions should flow from a healthy dose of fear from God. The second thing I see in this story is that what I said already is that a guilty conscience isn't fixed by time. Like these guys had 15 years. You would think that they would have time to heal from their decisions. They could kind of move on. But even in this moment, before they realized what was happening, their consciences were so troubled that they had no way to fix it. And that God provided a way for Joseph to show himself to them, to give them an opportunity to, to repent of what they'd done, to get right with their brother, to simultaneously also get right with God. And we see healing at the end of the story. It's a really a beautiful thing. Um, the third thing I see in the story is that the, the, the perceived bad was actually something that God was using for good. And I think so often we go through difficult times and difficult seasons and we fail uh, we fail to see what God is doing in the midst of it. I remember that John Piper wrote a book a few years ago, or more of a pamphlet. And the title of his pamphlet was like, don't waste your cancer. 
And the, the short of this thing was that people, the, the believers who have cancer, and that they were so busy feeling sorry for themselves that they missed actually what God was doing through this very difficult thing in their life. And I, and I, whether it's cancer or whatever, we all have difficult things that happen in our life. And I think that in this story, we don't want to miss out in the midst of our trials what God is actually doing because God is good and he is doing good things through the midst of our difficult uh, things. And then finally, the last little section of this, I just kind of keep, I keep, I keep hearing uh, Dave Ramsey's voice in Joseph's words at the very end. When his brother's like, guys, I'm better than I deserve. You know, <laughs> like, like he's just doing really great. And like all of this stuff, don't even sweat it, guys. Like God sent me ahead so that I could take care of you guys. This is perfect. And like, just what a perspective. Like Joseph could have been a harsh, mean, cruel person because of the hard things that happened but he was softened, softened through these things because of God's hand, and he recognized that God used it for good. Okay, with that, let's pray. But we're early, man. I got another 10 minutes I could talk. Um, Father, we do thank you and praise you for this day. We thank you for the story. I just thank you for this, the life, life of Joseph. It, I mean, it literally is a story that, that movies have been made about, and, and the story has been told over and over and over again. And I thank you for this this style of teaching that your, your word contains all sorts of different literary structures. Um, some are more just teaching in black and white and in our face, and others sort of teach a story or teach your ways through a story. And I love that this story does this. In this story of, of uh, laughter and tears and fear and anxiety, that we, we see this powerful message about who you are and how we can handle the good times and the difficult times in our lives. I pray, Father, that through this life of Joseph, we would be encouraged to look to you, that we would recognize you as God, that we would see how great and mighty and awesome that you are, and that we should come before you with fear. And in that fear, we recognize that you are a loving God, one who desires us to get right Uh, with you, that you have provided a way for us to rectify the sin that haunts us from our past. We thank you that Christ came, that he lived, he suffered the wrath that was due us, he absorbed the consequence and penalty of our sin in full, and that through your grace and our faith in him, that we can be restored to you, uh, completely forgiven, And so, Father, I pray that you would help us to truly experience that, that we could walk in peace and that we would be able to go through our days regardless of circumstance and just to say that I'm better than I deserve because of what Christ has done for me. We love you, Father, and we pray this in Christ's good name. Amen.